and goes on to cause metabolic disorders, heart failure, kidney disease, and coronary artery disease, okay? Now, so that's an example of this, you are what you eat. The gut microbiome is acting on this piece of cheese to cause disease. Hello, and welcome to the Plant Prescription Podcast. This podcast is all about helping you live a longer, happier, and healthier life. We will be featuring conversations with great minds to inspire you to reach your ultimate potential. My name is Muzammil Ahmed. I'm a medical student with a master's in psychology, certification in nutrition, and a bachelor's in business. And my name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student with a bachelor of science in health and fitness physiology, and I'm also a plant-fueled Muay Thai fighter. We are both plant-based lifestyle advocates who are passionate about spreading positivity, optimizing health, and promoting sustainability. Welcome back, friends. Our guest today is the incredible Dr. Angie Sadegi. She is a California-based gastroenterologist with extensive training from the prestigious University of Southern California. She's passionate about using the power of plant-based nutrition to not only treat diseases of the digestive tract, but to help her patients lose weight, feel better, and live longer, healthier lives. Dr. Sadegi's passion doesn't end there, though. She's also a vegan lifestyle advocate and a huge fitness enthusiast. She's even stepped on the stage in a fitness competition. In this conversation, we dive into what we should be eating for optimal health and the health of our gut microbiome. For those who don't know, the gut microbiome is the collection of microorganisms, like bacteria, fungi, etc., that reside in the large intestine. These tiny organisms are responsible for the fermentation of certain substances that we can't digest, like fiber. The byproducts of these reactions have been linked to an astonishing number of factors such as immune function, obesity, digestive diseases, and even food cravings. Dr. Sadegi delves into what foods help feed a healthy gut microbiome and which foods to avoid. We talk about dietary approaches to acid reflux and preventing colorectal cancer with a plant-based diet. But this is not all. There's so much more packed into this one episode. Dr. Sadegi's energy is contagious and we are sure you will be thoroughly impressed and inspired to choose plenty of fiber-rich foods. Enjoy this episode. Hello, Dr. Angie. We're super excited to have you on our podcast. Um, like you know, Cass and I have been big fans of your work and what you represent for a very long time. So it's really cool to be meeting you finally and to having you on our podcast. Um, would you, could you just introduce yourself a bit for our listeners, please? Thank you, Muzmil and Cass, for doing what you're doing, and thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Angie Sadegi. I'm the president and CEO of Institute of Plant-Based Medicine. We're an integrative uh, uh, um, healthcare system with multidisciplinary uh, with a with a multidisciplinary approach um, of all plant-based doctors to help people and increase awareness about the um, importance of nutrition in healthcare. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh-huh. Um, you're doing incredible things. Could you maybe just start from the beginning and tell us how you got interested in medicine in the first place? Yes, I think I was nine years old when I decided to become a physician. And it was after watching a documentary um, about Madame Curie. And um, I also had a, a doctor's appointment with an ophthalmologist. And I remember on the way back, I was like, something about this is calling my name. And I literally that day decided I was going to pursue a career in medicine. Funny thing is I told my mom and dad and my dad received it very well. And he, he was really excited about it. Um, my mom was like, oh, that's not a really good lifestyle for a female. Um, and uh, she tried to change my mind, but it's really weird because I had so strongly wanted to do it that there's nothing that would have changed my mind. And I never looked back. <laughs> that's phenomenal. 
Um, and I believe that you are a gastroenterologist. So do you just want to talk us through your journey of, um, you know, your experience through med school and how that made you decide to pursue internal medicine and gastroenterology? And our listeners might not even know what gastroenterology is. So just a bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so initially I thought I was going to be a surgeon and I had... Um, this, this idea that I was going to be a plastic surgeon. And um, I'm very good with my hands and I could have probably been a good surgeon, but I had really bad, um, terrible debilitating eczema and I couldn't wear gloves because as my hands would sweat, I would get these pustular eczema lesions all over my hands and I was very itchy and having to scrub in was very, very difficult. So I decided surgery is just definitely not the one for me. Um, I decided to go to, into internal medicine because I wanted to do cardiology. And then I, during my rotation, somehow I started loving uh, nephrology because it's so, um, such an amazing field where you have to know everything about the, all the systems. But then um, I started doing, after residency, I started doing postdoctoral fellowship and research. And my research happened to be in stem cells and in um, uh, reversing fibro liver fibrosis. And so I fell into the realm of GI. And so naturally, after my first year of postdoctoral fellowship, I decided, I think I should go into GI, given that I've <laughs> studied liver disease so extensively. So I applied for GI and I did that, uh, the clinical fellowship. And I'm so glad because then I fell into nutrition. And I, I realize now how lucky I was that I chose the field of GI because I don't believe that you could fully be a an amazing GI doctor without having some kind of a knowledge of nutrition. And so it was, it was like the perfect marriage, you know, for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you say that because we have our um, GI gastroenterology block in med school and <laughs> the quantity of nutrition taught is so little. It's, it's sad. So, but I agree with you hundred percent that nutrition is the biggest piece in GI. Um, yeah. Do you want to touch uh based on how I believe you were vegetarian way before you became vegan. So yes. just your journey towards that, and then we'll tie it all together afterwards. Yeah, so Ms. Will, um, I remember you're, you're a third year now, right? You starting third year, yeah. And Cass, you are in your? I'm starting second year. Second year. When do they teach you guys nutrition? What, when did they start doing that? Like, it, it's, it's actually in second year. Well, they, second. it's kind of implemented throughout the curriculum, but most of it's in second year. So I haven't hit it yet. I got it. Okay. Well, I remember my second year, we had this nutrition course and I skipped it. I was like, what the heck? I'm not a registered dietitian and I don't plan to be a registered dietitian. What is this stuff that they're trying to teach us? I'm going to be a medical doctor. I need to learn more about pathophysiology of disease. And that's what I was interested in. And I thought it was right. a waste of my life that I had to talk about lactation and breastfeeding and um, what, what's, what does the milk contain, macronutrients. Macro I was just like, what a waste of time. Like I literally <laughs> thought our school is crazy for having nutrition included <laughs> in our <laughs> curriculum. Um, not knowing that one day I would go back and say, I wish I had more. <laughs> I did everything in my power to skip courses, like do very minimal, as, as little as I could. Um, I remember I was in residency in internal medicine. So way after, if, if you're listening and you don't know, there's four years of medical school after undergrad, after you get your bachelor's, you get 
four years of medical school and then you do your one year of internship and two years of uh, residency training in internal medicine, then you go into fellowship. When I was in my second or third year of residency, I was sitting with a friend of mine having lunch and she talks about the ethical reasons for which she was a, a vegan. And then I realized that I was eating meat and I thought, wow, this doesn't really, I had a dog and I loved my dog and I love animals. And I was like, this isn't like, this is not agreeing with me somehow. I'm thinking, why am I eating this, uh, this piece of flesh that is, that was an animal walking around breathing, a sentient being. And I, th I thought I was being hypocritical. And so for um, ethical reasons, I became a vegetarian. Later on, um, you know, in life, I, I was at a seminar or a conference, and at, at the conference, the speaker spoke about the deleterious effects of dairy. At the time, I wasn't doing well. I was unhealthy because my diet was terrible. I had fatigue. I was depressed. I, was, I had high cholesterol. I had eczema. I was trying to lose weight. And at the seminar or the conference, we learned about um, how terrible dairy is and how you can gain weight if you eat dairy. And um, I also spoke to my, it was like the perfect storm in a good way. I also <laughs> talked to my cousin that day who is an ethical vegan and she was telling about the dairy industry how, and how the dairy industry is even more cruel than the meat right. industry. And yeah. so I thought, wow, okay, so here I am. I can't be an ethical vegetarian because that doesn't make sense. I have to be an ethical vegan and I wanted to feel better anyway. I was like trying to help myself uh, get healthier. So that was it. Um, what was separating me from being whole food plant based was uh, eggs and uh, dairy. So I stopped consuming those two terrible food groups. And here I am six years later. I wish wow. I'd done it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like a lot of plant based eaters say that. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. my God. I literally get jealous when someone says I've been vegan for seven years. I'm like, oh. <laughs> 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 one, one more year than I. <laughs> So um, you mentioned uh, earlier that you had eczema and that deterred you from pursuing surgery. Can you maybe talk about how some of these health issues actually cleared up once you transitioned to a whole food? Oh, that diet? was miraculous. I mean, it was incredible, Cass. Like I had these, like you guys know, if you ever have time, Google pustular eczema. Um, I remember in school when we learned about pustular eczema, I was like, oh my God, that's what I have right yeah. there like these blistering lesions that look like the herpes lesions that you get on your lips, except mine were all over my hands and oh, in my anticubital re regions, like the, um, the arms and behind my knees, very itchy lesions. I even had some at the bottom of my feet. I used to itch so much. I used to live on Benadryl. You know, I couldn't even sleep if I didn't take Benadryl every night because it was itchy. Um, I scratched my skin so much, I have scars from it. I mean, wow. it was terrible and it was a poor quality of life. I was always itchy. I was always like, oh, and then it's funny because I had also cross-reactivity to some other things. Like if I touched tomatoes, I would have a rash suddenly. Somehow my body was on guard because of the allergy that I had to the dairy proteins. So my body was on guard. So certain things would, would just activate the eczema and it could be sunlight or it could be, you know, like everyone else would go to the beach and they'd be fine. I would itch all over and have eczema lesions. Even if I sweat, I would have eczema lesions all over me. I would get itchy. So it's really weird. Um, so I, I went whole food plant based, not thinking my eczema is going to go away. You know, I just thought, well, I'm not going to eat dairy because I want to lose weight. 
And literally like a week later, I'm like, hmm, I'm not itchy. And um, I even thought I was allergic to the leather in my car. So I had covered my wheel because that was like my steering wheel because I thought maybe it's the leather that's, it's just weird. Like I couldn't touch anything because of my eczema. Um, I would be limited as to how much I could wear gloves, how, how, how much I could wash my hands every time I had to like carry special soaps with me. I mean, it was just very limiting, you know, especially when you're in the hospital, you know, you can't carry soaps and lotions in your pockets. You know, you're like you're going patient to patient and busy and all that stuff. It's like, God, I don't need, I don't need this in my life. You know, I stopped eating dairy within two weeks. My skin was perfect. Like no lesions. I stopped taking Benadryl within one week. And within um, about two weeks, I stopped using corticosteroid creams because my my rash just disappeared. And since then, I've only had one eczema, no, two episodes of eczema recurrence, flare-ups. One was because I got, I went to the Sierras on on a hiking experience and I got bit but like but by like a hundred mosquitoes and um for some reason it precipitated a eczema flare-up for me and one other time i put bailey's irish cream in my coffee not realizing <laughs> <laughs> that has dairy in it yeah i'm you can tell i don't drink so i'm like oh bailey's that sounds good like isn't that like good stuff so i put that in my coffee and i started itching all over going what did i do i don't remember eating dairy so i started like playing my day in my brain from morning to night realizing oh irish cream hello (laughs) now good news is they have the baileys now with almond milk so there you go (laughs) i can i can relate with you quite a bit because i was also diagnosed with eczema a long time ago and have had eczema and the fact that in, like it cleared up soon after going plant-based. And in the past year, I've had one minor flare-up. And I believe that had to do with the fact that I had a lot of vegan junk food in this one particular week. That yeah. flipped there. So there was might have been something in there that flared it up. But overall, it's never been this clear. So Yeah, people don't yeah. realize how much, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, there's a condition called eosinophilic esophagitis. Yeah. And people have um, these, these white cells, which are called the eosinophils, attack the mm-hmm. lining of the esophagus uh, because of some kind of an allergic something that you're consuming. And a lot of times, the whey and the casein proteins that I test, people have IgE against those two proteins. And so a lot of people have, have, have this and they don't know. And so they're consuming a lot of whey protein powders. Right. They're eating milk and dairy products, not realizing that that is just causing an autoimmune type reaction in their body. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a really horrible condition. People can't swallow their esophagus turns into like, it looks like the trachea. It gets ringed and very stiff. So people can't swallow. They have really bad heartburn and reflux. Um, and, you know, I, I test for it and I, I, I realized that they have dairy allergy. I asked them to stop eating dairy and within a couple of weeks, they get so much better. Yeah. That's incredible. That's it really should be first line advice to recommend anyone with a, a like, autoimmune or allergic reaction to kind of limit the dairy. Oh, absolutely. It's like miraculous when you stop consuming dairy, how much good happens as far as, as a gastroenterologist, that's actually my first line, you know, whether you have IBS or lactose intolerance, constipation, diarrhea, it's like, you name it, stop eating dairy. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, you had mentioned how you had initially done it for weight loss. And I believe you, you lost around 30 pounds in eight months. And you yes. completely transformed yourself. You just want to talk a little bit more about that because I know quite a bit about it, but our listeners might not. Yes. So I was, I had, I looked like a typical doctor stressed out, you know, working 80 hours a week in residency and, and then fellowship. I had a baby. I had all this weight on me. I like, you know, and then, you know, in medicine, you're really like there to help people and you're not like your looks aren't that important. So Mm -hmm. I was like, fine with it. You know, I was like, okay, well, it is what it is. I look like the typical out of shape doctor, whatever, you know, I have, I'm a mom. Um, and I was in my 40s. So I was like, well, it, it's normal, right? It goes with the territory, not realizing, well, it's just what I was putting in my body. You don't have to look like an overweight doctor mom. You could look good. Right, absolutely. <laughs> you could have it all if you wanted. And if it's a, and, and if part of the piece of the puzzle is having a nice body, hey, you could actually have that too. You know, it's okay. All you, and it takes zero effort except go plant-based. Okay, so that's yeah. pretty much it. You can eat volumes and volumes of plant-based foods and and be in shape um because it's it's very micronutrient and and nutrient rich and it's basically calorically not as dense as processed foods and some of the uh dietary some of the things that most people eat when they're on the standard american diet so yeah so i basically i didn't know how to be a vegan i didn't know that other vegans exist literally i thought maybe there's like five of them out there i didn't even know there are other vegans who want to do bodybuilding because I wanted to do bodybuilding and um, because I've lifted weights since I was 15 years old I'm into bodybuilding and I was like when I went plant-based I was like I'm gonna get in the best shape of my life and do a competition (laughs) I was like I'll go go about it I was like I bet they don't know you can build muscle with a vegan diet like I literally thought no one else knew and I just had (laughs) For the first time in the history of the United States, come upon something really amazing. <laughs> and then I, um, I didn't know there are other doctors who, who are pro-plant-based. I was like, I am going to go out there and let all these other doctors know. It's so funny. <laughs> I went on Instagram and I put vegan bodybuilding, just expecting nothing would come up. And there it was. My friend Stephen Coote has this uh, vegan bodybuilding uh, site. And I was like, oh, my God. Other people know about this. Well, this is good. I'm not the only one. And then I realized there are other doctors who are promoting it. And it was like, I even got more encouraged, you know, because I was like, yes, I'm part of the community. I'm part of a team. Now it's just not, not just me, but it's like, there are so many other people who are with the same message. This can be very impactful and, and we can add so much value. So anyway, um, but anyway, going back to answering your question, I went plant-based because I was overweight and I had high cholesterol. And the, I thought that was also my destiny because my family, I have family history of hyperlipidemia. So I thought, well, you know, it is what it is. I have bad right. genetics, which a lot of people do. But the thing is, I was eating animals and animal products and animals and animal products have cholesterol. Right. Now, your body makes cholesterol, but Sometimes if you watch your diet and you're not consuming extra cholesterol, your cholesterol doesn't go high. If you have the genetics and you're consuming extra cholesterol, that's when your cholesterol goes high. So my cholesterol went down. I started eating a whole food plant-based diet. And like after that, you know, when it, ever since I've been checking, my cholesterol is doing much better, obviously. But yeah, one thing that happened is 
um, my my body fat percentage kept going down. You know, it's That's like amazing. I was gaining muscle, burning yeah. fat. It's yeah. really quite unbelievable because a lot of times when you go on a calorie deficit diet, which I did because I was trying to lose weight to go on, on the stage, you don't build muscle. A lot of the times bodybuilders, what they do is they go through bulk and then they mm -hmm. shred. I just was like, okay, I'm going to go on the shred diet. And I was like trying to lose weight. But interestingly, I was also simultaneously gaining muscle and I was eating a high carb diet. I was trying to keep my um, uh, protein as low as possible just because I honestly just thought, you know, I, I don't want to do it the traditional way. I want to do it my way. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't need to eat a, a ton of protein. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like this doesn't make sense. You need more carbs to build muscle because of all the energy that's required in building muscle. Right. And I'm, I was like, I just, I'm getting enough protein and that's all I want to do. I don't want to do too much because you know, you know, extra protein just goes into your body and it, it basically gets fermented by the gut microbiome to pr produce uh, toxic materials. And then I also knew, well, if I just eat, consume a bunch of extra protein, it's going to turn into fat. So why don't I just like eat micronutrient rich foods like fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, and legumes? And, you know, I relied on legumes and tofu as my protein and it worked out fine. I was like, burning fat, building muscle, burning fat, building muscle, burning fat, building muscle. I would like go look in the mirror and be like, oh my God, like it's so <laughs> weird to like go to the gym and you know, you look a certain way, right? And you're used to yourself and your, 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 your mind tells you that's what you look like. You know, that's, that's Angie right there in my mind. I, I know who that is, this rounded looking overweight girl, okay? Who's a doctor and who's a mom, great. And then suddenly, I would like go to the gym and I'd be passing by the mirror and be like, Oh my God, who is that? <laughs> like this girl is shredded in the mirror and she has a six pack. And yeah, you, know, you have and abs, like, which is so had, impressive. Like, how many, like, how many doctors do you see that have abs? Like most doctors <laughs> don't even care about their physique. And there you are, you're like promoting healthy eating and you have, you have a phenomenal body to go along with it. You know, it's really cool that you brought up bodybuilding because on social media, you always hear these bodybuilders promoting calories in, calories out. It's all about the macros. Uh, it doesn't matter what you eat. Uh, eat a lot of protein, a lot of meat. Eat, um, and then they'll be eating pizza and promoting that as long as it fits in your macros. And, and I know you talk a lot about like where the calories come from matter um, mm -hmm. a lot. Absolutely. So if you could just touch... Yeah, that. thank you for bringing that up because it's extremely important, as you guys know, calories in does not equal to calories out. So in the old days, people were like, okay, well, I'm going to eat Twinkies, okay? If I eat <laughs> 500 calories of Twinkies, I will lose weight. Yes, yeah, it's calorie deficit diets help you lose weight. However, it does matter what kind of calories you're putting in your body. Number one, because of health, and number two, the impact of calories are different when, it, when the calories go into the body. If you have a closed system, a machine that is like just a computer, you put calories in and calories come out, great. That, that could, outside of the body, calories in could look like calories out. However, we're a very dynamic, multifaceted, multi, um, uh, just very complicated system. We have got the gut microbiome in our body. We have hormones, we have spike of hormones. And so the types of calories that go into your body are very, very important. 
So I'll give you an example. If you had 100 calories of a piece of cheese, that is not the same as 100 calories of, let's just say, tofu. Okay, so mm -hmm. if you're eating cheese, that is promoting um, inflammation, that is promoting weight gain because of the hormonal effects of it. That, that's because it's, it's just, it's got saturated fat, it's got all kinds of hormones um, and no fiber. Now, you're eating 100 calories of tofu, that is completely different. That causes the production of short-chain fatty acids and um, the process of fermentation in your gut. So um, it's not the same. It's not one is promoting health, one is promoting disease. So that's an example of 100 calories of two different foods. Calories in do not look like calories out at all. The other yeah. thing is the hormonal effect of food is so different. Like, for example, if you're eating um, saturated fat, a bunch of saturated fat, you may have a spike in your insulin, right? Because saturated fat causes insulin resistance, whereas 100 calories of tofu doesn't spike your insulin as much. Or so, so you know, a, the bodybuilding industry, um, they, they, they know a lot, but there's a lot that they need to learn because most people are now coming out and saying, yeah, I want to look good. I want to look like a bodybuilder, but I don't want to feel like a bodybuilder. I don't want to die early like the typical bodybuilder, mm -hmm. right? I don't want to live, I don't want to die at age 50. Most bodybuilders would die at age 50, right? So we don't want that, right? We want to be healthy and muscular. You can have both, but you cannot make the same mistakes as the old age bodybuilders, even Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming out and saying, Hey guys, I was wrong. You didn't right. need, we didn't need to eat all those, all that muscle from animals to gain muscle. It doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah. I love that, that he's coming out and raising awareness about that. He was in um, game changers and he talked, he mentioned that as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. You talked a lot about cheese and I love that, that you did that because uh, cheese is something that people are think as long as it's not like processed cheese and like natural cheese, it's okay. And then I see people eating cheese literally daily and feeding their kids cheese, which scares me because they don't know how bad cheese is. Could you just touch on like how cheese impacts your gut microbiome? Uh, and maybe yeah. just for our listeners, maybe like slightly mentioning what gut, gut microbiome is as they might not know. Yeah. So the gut microbiome is a consortium of uh, different organisms like viruses, protozoa, archaea, um, fungi, and bacteria. So a lot of times um, I even say by mistake, I go, the gut bacteria, but we should say the gut microbiome because it's not just a, just not back, it's not just bacteria. It's a very complicated ecosystem. And from mouth to anus, we have about a hundred trillion gut microbiome living in our gut, the majority of which live in the lower intestine, in the large intestine or the colon. And uh, some obviously live in the mouth, the esophagus, the stomach, the duodenum, the jejunum, and the ileum. Um, but like I said, the majority of them are in the large bowel. And uh, the gut microbiome carry um, more genetics than our own eukaryotic cells put together. So and you know, when you eat, that food goes in and it interacts with the gut microbiome and it promotes health or disease depending on the type of food you're eating. Um, there are a lot of uh, enzymatic reactions that happen. It's not like you eat food. Like back when I was in residency, I mean, back when I was in medical school and residency, you guys, that was a long time ago. And back <laughs> then we looked at the, the mouth to anus thing as one long tube. You eat, things just kind of go through. And then in the duodenum, there's the pancreatic enzymes. Great. You get the fats, the, the proteins and the sugars. Like 
cut down, broken down um, because of the enzymes that come from the pancreas and that's about it. And then it just, things go into your colon and the colon is just like a, basically a poop trap. Boom, you don't even need it. You don't need a colon because it's just basically just dehydrating your stool a little bit and whatever. If you don't, if you have ulcerative colitis, just cut it out. You know, we're good. That's the mentality, you know? And then, of course, a decade later, here comes this emerging data about the gut microbiome, these organisms that live in your body that are so powerful, more powerful than you. You're not even in charge. They are. (laughs) And so when you eat food, that food gets consumed and metabolized by the microbiome. Be it viruses, bacteria, it doesn't matter. They metabolize. It's like um, things happened through these enzymatic um, interaction of the food with the, basically the, uh, the gut microbiome acts as a substrate, right? Substrate, food comes, they have enzymes, they process the food, and there comes the production of different metabolomes or metabolites. These metabolites uh, basically pass through the GI tract wall, they enter the circulation, and through the circulation affect you from head to toe, okay? From hair to toe, you should say. <laughs> um, basically, everything, everything is affected by the, in, the molecules that are produced through the bi- biome. The biome has brought a very exciting um, uh, present and the future for uh, our understanding of coronary artery disease, heart failure, metabolic disorders like uh, like diabetes, um, colitis, autoimmunity. I mean, everything is important. And, and it's just basically every day we're learning more and more. But um, there is now evidence that perhaps a lot of these patients we thought had IBS, have SIBO and small intestinal bacterial illness because of an imbalance of the gut microbiome. Perhaps inflammatory bowel disease has to do with an imbalance of gut microbiome. Maybe autoimmune diseases have to do with the imbalance of gut microbiome. Perhaps heart attacks are due to the metabolite production from the gut microbiome. Everything is, is now, even colon cancer could be due to the inflammatory gut microbiome causing colon cancer. So we're really at the embryonic stages of it. However, there's a world... Um, there's a world of uh, studies going on and, you know, to be continued, but believe me, it's very exciting. Yeah, I think it's like one of the most fascinating areas of medicine these days, actually. Um, Could you maybe just touch on, well, I've heard before that like we, a lot of people like to say that we are what we eat, but I think I've heard it say, put more accurately, we are what our gut microbiome eats. So so could you maybe um, in broad terms, tell our listeners what is nourishing and healthful for our gut microbiome and what might be harming or hurting our gut microbiome? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So this is an important question because it just brings what I just said into context. So think about the gut microbiome. Remember there are the substrates that our body uses to produce molecules. So uh, for example, let's just say, and Musmil brought this good point about cheese, right? Let's just say you decide to eat a piece of cheese, right? Full of what? Saturated fat. It's basically dehydrated 
the most processed food you can find, dehydrated because the water is taken out and it's just basically a block of fat and some um, inflammatory proteins, right? So this food goes into your body. The gut microbiome basically gets a hold of this food. And uh, we have studies that show a high fat, high saturated fat content food uh, causes uh, metabolites that are um, not very helpful for your body. Okay, so that piece of cheese, for example, contains a lot of choline, okay? Mm -hmm. um, choline goes into the colon, the gut microbiome gets a hold of it, produces something called trimethylamine. Trimethylamine circulates in the body, becomes trimethylamine oxide in the liver, and goes on to cause metabolic disorders, heart failure, kidney disease, and coronary artery disease, okay? Now, so that's an example of this, you are what you eat, the gut microbiome, is acting on this piece of cheese to cause disease. Well, what about if you fed your body good foods? Okay, let's just say you decided instead of that block of cheese, you were gonna eat uh, something uh, like, I don't know, maybe uh, some nuts, maybe some avocado, okay? Uh, because you chose a fat that is good fats, right? Omega-3 fatty acids and you know fats that are helpful, healthy. Um, now there is some saturated fat in, in plant foods too, but it's not as much as you would find in a piece of cheese. And so you're eating some healthy fats, let's say you eat flax seeds, chia seeds and things like that. Instead of TMAO, what you're gonna get produced is the gut microbiome gets a hold of this food and produces what we call short chain fatty acids because these foods are full of fiber. Fiber is an essential nutrient for the gut microbiome to met and, and they metabolize the, the fiber into um, some short-chain fatty acids like butrates and propionate. And so these short-chain fatty acids uh, circulate in the body and create health. They bring down your body fat. So here's an example. Calories in do not look like calories out, okay? Because if you're eating foods that produce short-chain fatty acid, you could decrease inflammation. You could decrease your body fat. You could increase muscle mass. You could do all kinds of cool things. Whereas if you're eating bad foods, 100 calories of it even, equivalent, you're going to cause disease. Right. So... This is, you guys are asking me all kinds of good questions. Wow. <laughs> well, we've been very excited to have you. So, yeah. um, so you mentioned fatty foods and I want you to touch on the role fatty foods play in like acid reflux, because um, yes. that seems to be such a common problem among people these days. And they just go to the doctor and the doctor like prescribes them PPIs and it's like, like no one actually discusses the cause of these problems. And even in med school, they barely ever touch on that. And I know you're very knowledgeable on that. So if you could share a bit on that. Yeah, so um, gastroesophageal refluxes is extremely common. And many Americans complain of acid reflux. And it's, you know, um, it's so, so common because, you know, it's not the perfect system, right? If I had to design it, I would, I would design it differently, but you know, how do you come up with a perfect system where at the end of your esophagus, there is a sphincter that knows to open when you're swallowing food and then shut closed when you're done swallowing. So nothing comes back up. Well, you can't have a gate that opens and closes. So it has to be dynamic. So it's under a hormonal regulation in your body where certain hormones spike up, relax the, the sphincter and then it, it just kind of gets toned down again. So things, so it just basically, here's the sphincter, it relaxes, food goes in and it, the tone comes back. So food doesn't come back up. 
it's not perfect. It's an awesome um, evolutionary factor, but I mean, it's not perfect, right? So that's why we have so much GERD in the world. Now, part of it, it's not that it's an imperfect, imperfect system. It's because we have an imperfect diet. Most of us are eating too much fat. There have been studies that show that certain things cause the uh, sphincter to relax. One of them is a high fat diet. So if you're eating a keto diet where you're getting a ton of calories from fat, if you're eating the standard American diet where you're getting a bun you're eating burgers and fried foods, this sphincter is going to um, relax and uh, the content of the stomach is going to come back up. And that in that's called the refluxate. And the refluxate could be from bile, it could be acid, or it could be food. And that's called GERD. Um, a lot of times... Um, the acid and the enzymes come back up into the esophagus and break down the mucosa and that's called esophagitis. And so it's basically, it looks like ulcers in the esophagus. So how do you um, intervene? Well, um, studies show that uh, taking a, for example, pump inhibitor can, uh, can uh, heal esophagitis, but more importantly, what you want to do is fix your diet before even trying proton pump inhibitors. You shouldn't even let yourself get to that level. And some people definitely will, even if they have a perfect diet because of an anatomical defect. But putting those small percentage of people aside, um, if you fix your diet, so if you're eating a ton of chocolate, caffeine, drinking a bunch of coffee, or drinking a bunch of alcohol, smoking cigarettes, and you're overweight, and you're eating a high-fat diet, that sphincter is going to relax and the content is going to come up. So if you have reflux, number one, it, try to eat more plant-based. Why? Because plant-based foods are um, basically low in fat, especially saturated fat, which has a very high impact on your hormonal system as far as CCK production and other hormonal effects, which relax the lower esophageal sphincter. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you so much for answering that so well. Mm -hmm. um, so some people often complain that they're like, okay, you know, you said go eat plant-based and I tried plant-based and all that fiber just like, you know, just gave me gas and I feel terrible. And this just shows that vegan diet doesn't work. <laughs> and, and then um, I know, you know, you're supposed to take small steps to include that fiber because these people aren't used to eating so much fiber, but could you just explain why that happens and how to do it properly? Yeah, so when you have, uh, when you start eating um, a lot of plants, there's more fermentation because uh, when you eat a lot of plant foods, there is um, basically uh, more fermentation. So there could be a few things that are going on. Um, a lot of times what happens is people don't have the right microbiome configuration to break down the, the plant cellulose. That could be one thing. There was a study that shows, showed that there's diminished levels of uh, uh, bacteria that could break down plant foods in the GI tract of um, English um, people in England, kids. They were actually studying a population of kids versus the population of um, South African children so who, who are eating a predominantly plant-based diet. So for some reason, they were, they were lacking this, this microbiome. And so naturally, I'm sure it's harder to break down plant cellulose, right? So 
you know, and it's, it's hard to bring back and re-inoculate your gut, right? So um, we're still studying this. How do you re-inoculate your gut? Because we know probiotics most of the time don't work and that's not the answer. So what is? Maybe you need to live with people who, are, who, are, who have a better, healthier gut microbiome. Maybe you need to eat dirtier. <laughs> Maybe go out there and pick your fruits and vegetables and bring in some of that soil into your gut. I mean, I don't know the exact answer, but it's, it's basically... Um, more and more we're learning about how do you re-inoculate the gut microbiome? Do you eat more of those things that need to be digested by that particular gut microbiome to encourage the growth of it? I mean, that's, these are all things that need to be studied. But one thing is for sure, if you, if you look at people who go plant-based overnight, they have a hard time with it. People who've had vegetables, fruits, vegetables their entire lives, they can go plant-based overnight and not do badly with it. So, um, but my patients, what I tell them is go slow, cook, cook your vegetables, and perhaps don't eat raw vegetables at first, eat, eat more fruits, they're very easy to digest. And uh, you know, maybe raw vegetables can wait till later you know, and things like that. And um, slowly people build up the, the capacity to um, break down food. That's one thing. The other thing is we live such a Instagram culture, like no one can have bloating ever. I mean, it's like, it's okay, everyone. There is a little bit of bloating that can happen from the physical distension of the stomach when you eat a bunch of food. That's number one. And no Instagram model can say that I've never had bloating in my life. Like, don't worry. It's okay. You can have a little bit of bloating. You can have a little bit of flatulence and flatulence is okay. That just means that you have fermentation in your gut. It becomes obviously pathologic when there is too much, like there's a condition called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And if you have that, yes, I get it. You will have an excessive amount of gas bloating and uh, perhaps burping, belching and flatulence, which is pathological and that needs to be addressed. So if you're having bloating, um, you know, um, you, you've got to get it looked at. But it's funny because if you ask, well, this is good for the medical students, I could tell you, what is bloating? Okay, a lot of people will actually don't even know what bloating is. Okay, so what is bloating? There are different types of bloating. I've had women come to me and say, I'm so bloated. And then they pinch their, their the abdominal fat and they say, see, I'm bloated. That's that pinchable abdominal fat is subcutaneous fat, fat under your skin after you have a baby that's not bloating. There are, there's other people who come in with ascites, which is fluid in their belly because of liver disease, and they think they're bloated. No, 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 no. that's ascites. I've had other people who come in who drink a bunch of alcohol, eat the standard American diet, and have a beer belly, and they think that's bloating. That's not bloating. That's mesenteric fat. So what is bloating? Is it gaseous distension of the bowel when you eat too much? Is it um, the, the, the bowel just freezes and gives you that feeling of distension um, for whatever reason? Because if you think about it, I mean, this, these are all questions I don't have answers for, but I'm just proposing how complicated this, this process is. Like, why do we get bloated? Now, if, if we bloating, we define it as, as, as gas com that, that comes and goes, like bloating by definition should come and go. Or like you eat something, you wake up in the morning with a flat stomach, you eat something, and then you get bloated, right? Why are you getting bloated? Is it because, um, for example, there's gas accumulation in your gut? But, but wait a minute, I thought gas escapes the gut right away, like CO2 gas, hydrogen gas, methane gas, they diffuse away. Does some of it just stay in the bowel and cause ballooning and that causes distension? Or maybe perhaps it's just like 
it, it messes with the motor neurons of the bowel and, and your, your bowel feels paralyzed and it just like stays dilated and open. And that's why people get bloated. We don't know the answers to these questions, but a lot of these people who are truly bloated, when you test their gut microbiome, you see that they have, um, when you test their breath, their breath test is positive for methane or hydrogen, which means that they have excessive gas production from bacteria because bacteria cause methane and hydrogen production. We don't, we, uh, our bodies, our cells produce CO2. So we can't test for CO2 gas, but we know we can test for methane and, and hydrogen. And there are other uh, gases that we can test for, like hydrogen sulfide. So there could be hydrogen sulfide accumulation. Anyway, this, this is very complicated. We're right. just learning about it. But <laughs> bloating is very, very, uh, very interesting. And I don't right. think I have all the answers for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you said, if someone is trying to go plant-based and they don't have much fiber in their diet, the best way to do it is just to go slow. And very true. And it slowly. Because a lot of people complain about beans not settling with them. So don't go eating an entire bowl of beans. Maybe eat slowly and increase your consumption. Yeah, or try lentils. Lentils are right. much easier. Mm -hmm. um, garbanzo beans are much easier than red kidney beans. And that right. could be because of the oxalate content in it. I mean, I don't know. And it's just, it's hard to say. But, but you know, cooked foods and, and just go slow. Don't, don't rush right. into it. Yeah, absolutely. That's excellent advice. Um, we have so many questions for you, but I think we have to touch on one of the big ones. Um, can you just speak to the role of diet and colorectal cancer? Yes, absolutely. So um, studies have shown that um, diets high in meat and especially in particular processed meat um, cause colorectal uh, cancer. So um, the World Health Organization um, uh, basically named processed meat as carcinogenic, meaning that it has directly, uh, there's sufficient evidence out there that it causes, directly causes colon cancer. And it could be because of the, the uh, naturosamine products and, 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 you know, many other things, but um, that would include like, for example, lunch, certain lunch meats like bacon and sausage, all these processed meats, right? Um, it's important to know this because Colon cancer is the second biggest cancer killer in both mm. men and women in the United States, right? So um, we're doing all kinds of screening testing to, to prevent colon cancer. But one thing is for sure, there's such low awareness in the world about diet and the role diet plays in prevention of colon cancer. Um, only about 5% of colon cancers are related to inherited genetics, right? 5%. So that means 95% of cancers are due to environmental causes. And we have control over that, you know? Um, and it's never too late to switch your diet. I grew up eating the standard American diet. And I had two polyps removed when I had my colonoscopy. There's no shame in that. Get your colonoscopies. Get your uh, screening testing. Colon cancer is a big killer. But it's never too late. Go plant-based. Um, and eat a bunch of fiber, and you could prevent it. And, and I know that because the studies show that uh, increasing your fiber decreases your risk of polyp formation. Polyps are um, uh, basically, pre they pre predispose you to cancer because usually the normal mucosa becomes um, abnormal, and you form these polyps, which are abnormal growths, which then develop into cancer. And, um, and that cancer can escape the colon and travel to the rest of your body, which is called metastatic cancer. 
Um, there are other studies that show that perhaps red meat could cause cancer too because of perhaps the heme iron. The heme iron is toxic, directly toxic to the mucosa of the colon and it could cause reactive oxygen species and DNA damage. Um, now, but one thing we know is that a high fiber diet is protective against colon cancer. So here's where that 95% of people um, who don't have genetics for colon cancer can protect themselves against colon cancer by eating a high fiber diet. Um, so if someone, cause you know, I hear this all the time, someone would come up to me and be like, yeah, okay, you know, um, industrialized meat is bad, but I just eat grass fed beef and grass fed beef shouldn't be a problem, right? So what, how would you answer that? Well, grass-fed beef still has the heme iron, you know, and it's still red meat. And I, I'm not sure that it's that much better. I mean, perhaps it could be a little bit better because, um, you know, there's um, the difference between the omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids. I agree. But look, every time, um, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, we're, we're smart individuals when we look at a food group, we can't have tunnel vision, right? We have to look at the, the whole picture, right? And then you decide, you know, I'd, I want to eat this way rather than that way because of X, Y, and Z. And there may not be that one little answer to the question. I mean, when I think about, and I'm going to use myself as an example because I, I, hope, I, I hope I'm being, answering this question in a well-rounded uh, manner. When I think about eating grass-fed beef versus non-grass-fed beef, I'm thinking, well, uh, there's no fiber in that. You know, it's not a high-fiber food. It is still red meat and heme iron. It's still got a bunch of saturated fat, and it's not good for me. And then I think about, you know, the Amazons are being burnt down because um, we're trying to have grass-fed uh, beef, and we're completely destroying the environment because there's no way to sustain our population if we gave everyone grass-fed beef. There's, it's just impossible. And you're really like literally destroying the ozone layer. And you're basically leading and promoting and putting your dollars towards this completely inhumane practice of killing the sentient being. And so when you think of it like that, you realize, do I really want to eat grass-fed beef or do I want to just like eat better foods, like healthier foods? And so, I mean, I think if you think of it like that, then it kind of makes more sense that perhaps you should skip it, you know, <laughs> eat healthy foods. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was so beautifully put. So it pretty Thank much you. all comes back to eating fiber-rich foods, fuel your microbiome. Uh, what would you say to people that think they can just take a fiber supplement and be doing just as much good for their body as if they're eating real fruits and vegetables? Because we yeah. do get taught that in med school is just to mm -hmm. prescribe a fiber supplement. Right. And I do that sometimes to people, right. for people, to people. <laughs> um, so the supplement industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Here's the American way and sometimes the Canadian way. Of, yeah. You know what? Don't worry about eating your oranges and eating your uh, greens. Just take a fiber supplement or vitamin C, right? It's like simple and it's great, but guess what? It doesn't replace... Um, the, the basically it's not the same. So fiber supplements uh, contain um, soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. And I, I guess if you're stuck in the middle of the country and for whatever reason, 
all you have access to is McDonald's food and you have children who are super constipated and they can't go on their own because you don't have enough money to buy fruits and vegetables and you're really like desperate and you can't do anything about it. Yes, sure. Buy the fiber supplement and give it to your kids because otherwise they will have an impaction of stool in their colons. They will be constipated and clog up the toilet every day. All right. I get that. You give them a fiber supplement, but if you want to do it the better way, you would eat whole foods, plant-based, right? Because you're getting a ton of fiber and perhaps you won't need the fiber supplement because you're also getting the nutrients, the antioxidants, the vitamins, which are killed off in the process of making this supplement that is processed, right? So if you're desperate, I get it. Sure, buy the supplement and, and take the supplement. I have patients... You guys, as easy as you and I think, okay, we'll just go eat more plant-based foods, right? I have patients, like the other day, I asked someone to just stop eating dairy. That's all I said. I said, you have heartburn. You came to me, you said, you don't want to take PPI therapy for your heartburn. And you asked me, what can I do to get, get I said, okay, let's go baby steps. Just stop eating dairy. I'll see you in two weeks. He called and he's like, What? I couldn't do this. This is so hard. I couldn't stop eating dairy. Everything I eat has dairy in it. And you're asking me to change my whole life. And I'm like, whoa. Okay, sorry about that. Why don't you just stop eating cheese? Don't worry about all dairy reading labels, just cheese. Like you don't, we don't realize how hard it is for people to change the way they live, they live overnight and mm -hmm. start incorporating more whole food plant-based into their diet and eliminate all the junk they're already eating because all their family recipes have the dairy. All their, right. you know, it's just very complicated, right? People can't make change because they have kids too and their kids don't know what to do. And it's very, very difficult. So, um, you know, um, for the, and that patient is unable to have a bowel movement on their own and they have heartburn. So as a doctor, you're, you're like between a rock and a hard space here. You know what the perfect diet is, but they won't do it. So then you're like, okay, well, why don't you take a fiber supplement, right? At least you're giving them some fiber <laughs> so they can have a bowel movement on their own. And you're asking them, well, maybe stop eating the cheese and then we'll talk again in two weeks. So you have to baby step. Uh, things and slowly change their lifestyle. And so the fiber supplement plays a role in your everyday therapeutic approach. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect, but it works. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Speaking of supplements, um, what about probiotic supplements? I'm not a fan of probiotic supplements. I just think it's completely unnatural to go, mm -hmm. here is a bunch of lactobacillus, swallow it. <laughs> like to me, it just makes no sense. Like, no, um, unless you come up to me and bring me the perfect, like, first of all, if it ain't broken, don't try to fix it, right? right? Like if yeah. you have a perfect gut, don't go buy probiotics going, I'm going to combat COVID. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay. <laughs> don't try to mess up the balance. It's already working. Don't do anything. I have had people who go, I did this super duper cleanse because it was advertised by someone on Instagram. And since the cleanse, I'm not doing well and I'm, my stomach is messed up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't go cleansing your colon. You, you know, right. Your colon is supposed to be dirty. Anyhow, so basically probiotics are invented under the premise that you're missing that biome and then you swallow it and voila, everything's going to be back to normal. No, 
we don't know anything about probiotics yet. We don't know, you know, whether when you swallow it, it goes into the right, doesn't get killed in the stomach acid. It travels down into the ileum right where you want it in that one little brush border that you had asked for. <laughs> and by the way, it just will mingle with the other rest of the biome and do just fine. No, it doesn't work that way. Right. You know, unless you have a pill that encompasses all the, the balance that already exists in your gut, exactly where your gut wants it and it magically goes lands right there don't don't tell me probiotics are helpful i mean i've never seen any studies where i was like wow i'm gonna put my (laughs) patients on probiotics from now on i haven't in fact i've seen the opposite i've seen the opposite where probiotics can hurt you (laughs) but what about foods that are high in probiotics great question i mean you guys i've googled and researched and PubMed. I mean, I tried, tried so hard to find one little study that's like, wow, I need to prescribe um, fermented foods to mm-hmm. my patients. Again, the research is not great, but sure. I think that it's probably perhaps more natural because if you think about it, you're taking a food with all its viruses and bacteria in a very balanced way and it's fermented, right? And so perhaps you're getting a little bit of a Maybe you're not overdosing. You're getting a certain like like fermented foods have been around for years and years, centuries, right? Maybe, um, you know, if you're consuming a little bit of fermented foods, it's not going to hurt you. I'm not sure it's going to tremendously help you either. I, I, I think the jury is hung on that. We need more studies. Mm-hmm. But as long as people eat a high fiber diet, they can nourish their gut microbiome. That's what it seems like. It seems like you are basically feeding. The studies show that, you know, the um, mucin layer on top of the, the mucosa, basically the, the columnar cells are there. Then there's the brush border. There's the mucin layer. And then the bacteria on top of that. Um, the best gut microbiome health comes from people who are eating a highly diverse plant-based diet, colors of the rainbow. And um, the mucin layer tends to be the healthiest uh, or the mucus layer turns to be the healthiest uh, that, and it's, it's more intact when people are eating a high fiber diet because um, if you're eating a low fiber diet, the, there's a certain gut microbiome that will eat up the mucus layer and expose the columnar epithelium uh, to damage um, because um, they, this mucus layer is made out of glycoproteins and these bacteria that you're starving and not eating, if, high, high, if you're not eating a lot of fiber, you're starving a certain gut microbiome and they start eating the mucus layer, layer for energy. And that exposes the epithelium to invaders and invasion of uh, the, uh, and, and, and harm. Sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, Dr. Sadegi, we want to be super respectful of your time here, so I'm not sure much how much longer you have, but I, if could we maybe move into the last three questions that we have to ask all our guests? Yeah. Before we do, uh, there's another question I had. Uh, mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite GI nourishing foods? Ooh, favorite. Oh, dates. I love dates. I can eat dates all day. That's my favorite fruit. Um, So dates are sweet for someone with a sweet tooth like myself. They're full of fiber, so they don't have the same calorie in, calorie out. Like if you're eating a piece of candy that's that sweet with processed sugar, it's very different than like, for example, eating dates. I love blueberries, that crunch. Oh gosh. I mean, it's just so delicious. Um, I love pomegranates. Um, they're full of antioxidants and I'm Persian and pomegranates are very Persian, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, what else do I love? Oh my gosh. I love so many plant foods. Um, 
you know, um, I like I like all kinds of hemp seeds and chia seeds and flax seeds all over my salads. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, um, I'm not as much into tempeh as I am into tofu. I love tofu. I love yeah. uh, sriracha mm -hmm. tofu because I love spicy. Oh, okay. <laughs> sriracha yeah. tofu is my favorite in the world. So those are my favorite foods. <laughs> right there. Okay, so we have three questions that we ask at the end to all our um, guests. The first question is, what is your ultimate favorite plant-based meal? Favorite plant-based meal? Yeah. Ooh, it's a hard, um, hard pick. <laughs> yes, um, I love Buddha bowls, mm, and so, so if you give me a Buddha bowl every single day of my life, I will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and there's so much variety with those two; you can pretty much fix it up to what you're craving any day or yeah, whatever you have absolutely. in the fridge. Yeah, and it's it's nice because it has a combination of cooked and raw. You know yes. what I mean? So it yeah. just hits all my senses. <laughs> All right, that leads us into our second question here. What is one kitchen item you wouldn't be able to live without? Hmm. I can't even warm water. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the blender, because I love making smoothies. I yeah. love making smoothies. So probably the blender is the only one that I can't live without. <laughs> I said the same thing. I said my Vitamix. <laughs> Vitamix, yes. yeah. <laughs> Vitamix should be paying us at this point. The amount of times you brought them up. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So if you could leave one advice for our listeners, what would it be? Uh, be open and open-minded about change and realize that, you know, what we've done for centuries um, and the recipes that we've eaten for centuries um, could have contributed to a lot of the disease that we're facing in America, in, in North America and um, all around the world. And so perhaps be open-minded about taking these amazing, yummy uh, recipes that your moms and grandmothers made and just transform them into more plant-based. And you could still enjoy the same quality, same taste, but um, contribute to your health and your children's health. Yeah. I love that. It's very beautifully put. Yeah. So if, our, if our listeners would like to connect with you or have any questions, where can they find you? So I happen to be very active on Instagram because yeah. <laughs> that's where I found all my favorite people on Instagram. You know, when I first started, I thought, I love this tool. Like it's br brought people together. Absolutely. So Angie on Instagram. Um, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Okay, good. And you have my, a website I have as well. You have a Yeah, I, they can definitely contact me on my website, www.drangiehealth.com. But, you know, I just started this amazing group called Institute of Plant-Based Medicine. And so oh. soon my website's going to be um, iopbm.com, although it's not live yet. So that's, okay. th that's, that's coming. Okay. Yes. Well, we will definitely share all that in our show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Angie, for being on our show. I had an amazing time, and I believe Cass also seemed to have had an amazing time. And I think our listeners are going to love this one. So thank you so much for being on here. My pleasure, you guys. I'm so proud of what you're doing. Keep up the good work. You're both really good people and so smart. I know that one day you're going to help a lot of people. Thank, thank you. So you. Much. Okay, so thank you. That's the end of the show. Thank you yeah. so much for being on here. I truly had an amazing time. Oh, good. I yeah. did too. Believe me, yeah. I did too. There are so interviews good. where you're like, when is this going to be over? And I was like, <laughs> actually getting into it with you guys because it's so 
So it was, your questions are on point. So, well, of course, you know, because you're medical students, you know exactly what to ask and, and things like that. So, um, you know, just, you guys are incredible. I, I really feel like I've met the future amazing leaders of America. <laughs> oh my God. Thank That's you amazing. so much. That, that means, means a lot. lot. Yeah, that means a lot coming from you. We had so many questions for you. You should see like our guide sheet. We have like, ask about this. If there's time, ask about this. But well, we will um, have to definitely bring you back. Yeah, we'd love well, to have I you I would back. love to. I would yeah. love to come back. Yeah. yeah. Okay, awesome. guys. I know you have a meeting, so we're going to let you go. But thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. My pleasure. So, bye, we'll guys. Be- okay, bye. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Plant Prescription Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it, and hopefully this inspires you to take steps towards making changes so you live a longer, happier, and healthier life. You can also follow us on Instagram, where we share nutrition, health, and fitness content, along with recipes. Our Instagram handles can be found in the description of this episode. Please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss on any upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this, We would love it if you left us a positive review and a 5-star rating on Apple Podcast. Please also make sure to share this with any family or friends who may benefit. Thank you so much for listening. Also, be sure to eat plenty of plants and see you next week.